What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Harry's. I love this company not just because it makes me think of Harry from Dumb and Dumber, but because they make awesome shaving equipment. Quality craftsmanship, simple design, modern convenience. Don't overpay for a great shave. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I, just, I don't get it. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. This is Chris Stemp. And this is John Rojas. John geeked out again today. Yes. I love <laughs> Although it. I have to admit, I really enjoyed it. Today we interviewed Tony Stubblebine, who is the co-founder of Lyft App, which is a, an app that at first glance, when John explained it to me, I didn't think it was too exciting, but it's one of the only apps that makes a change in your life. So hat it's, off to Tony. Yeah, it's amazing. Hats off to Tony and his entire team because it's changed my life. I talked to Tony about it in this episode. I've made some of the best habits this year in 2014 because of this app. I had a renewed energy and mm, using the sure Lyft app. It, no, it, it no, has. I'm kidding. And, I just don't want to break my chain. Even when I was in New York uh, for that comedy show, I was doing coding in the hotel so I could do my uh, right code. You know, habit. but I, I think one of the most unique things about this podcast, podcasting in general, people like Tony, entrepreneurs, 
we only talk about Lyft app here for, I don't know, six minutes out of the 40-minute or 35-minute interview. Uh, Tony is a wicked smart guy. And, I mean, the things – he was the sixth user of Twitter uh, because he worked at Twitter with – he said the guy that worked below him at one point was a CEO uh, of Twitter, right? Isn't that what he said? That's exactly right. I believe it was Evan Williams. Oh, yeah. And so he talks about how he got funding, but we also talk about behavior design. So your cognitive budget, you know, how many decisions you can make on a daily basis. He's really, as he describes himself, a human potential nerd. So Lyft is just part of it. If you're not an app guy... Believe me, this is a fantastic. How many sound bites did you did you write down in this episode? Oh, Eight, ten, <laughs> ten, easily ten sound bites. Just writing them down as he was saying, I was like, oh my god, that's another basically one. the whole episode. It's a it's beautiful. It makes our job so much easier when putting out quotes. So uh, head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. dot com. Tell us what you think. Also. Check out ChrisStemp.com. We've got new stuff up there all the time, the podcast and all that good stuff. John, what else you got for him? Go download the Lyft app on iOS or Android. Here you go. Tony Stubblebine. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, there's so many topics we want to cover with you because the things you write about are so fantastic. Obviously, Lyft, which you created, is amazing. But first, we tend to do on the show is we want to get an idea of your background, kind of what got you to where you are to create Lyft. What drove that? Sure, guys. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Lyft and my background are sort of, in my head at least, very similar in that I've always just been interested in getting better. In that, like, there's two things in my background that are, again, probably a lot of people would think are very different, but to me are very much the same, is that, you know, I was way into sports growing up, but I was also way into Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and, like, the, but they're both identical because they're both about improving. Like, in Dungeons and Dragons, you're always leveling up. You're always trying to make your character more powerful, right? And it's the same in sports, right? It's like you're practicing all the time in order to be better. And so... When I started my career, I was just constantly on this, like, uh, you know, this quest to have a more fulfilling career and more importantly, to have more impact. So I started working for um, kind of the corporate world and I really could see pretty quickly that they would pay me well, but that I really wouldn't do any work that mattered. And I worked my way into the startups. I worked for, I've worked, this is the fourth startup I've worked for and the second that I started myself. Definitely, I had good experiences. I was part of the team that uh, spun Twitter out. So, like, I'm like the sixth user of Twitter, and that's far and away the biggest success that I've ever seen up close. But at the end of the day, I just really felt like I was spending a lot of effort working on things that didn't matter to me. And so, when it came time to like start this company, I was like, all right, I'm not going to fool around anymore. I want to do the most important work that I could ever even imagine. And to me, that's helping people achieve their goals because there's so much good that comes from that. Wow. There's so many things swimming around in my mind because I was first I was thinking, all right, let's dive into Lyft. And then when you mentioned but now, Twitter, but now we can dive into Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah, what yeah. You've, like probably been hoping. To okay, that one, to that. that one actually didn't cross my mind. Hey, they but... had a second Dungeons and Dragons related episode on Community just the other week. So oh gosh, getting mainstream. See, that's right. Yeah, 
It's making a comeback. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I was thinking about Twitter and then the last part. So first, tell me about what that was like being part of, I mean, the sixth person on Twitter. What? How about this? What was it like and what's it like now that everybody's on it? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy. I think I just celebrated my eight-year anniversary on Twitter. I, I think I celebrated my eight-month. No joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It, and so it just it changes so much during that period. And it, what you really see is a lot of people who, you know, seem normal to you at the beginning are now incredibly famous and well-known. And, and so it, that was interesting to me. Like, you know, my boss at Twitter, you know, went on to be one of the CEOs at Twitter. And one of the people that worked for me was was also briefly the CEO of Twitter. And, you know, it's like they, they're on the cover of magazines. Wow. But at the end of the day, if you get a chance to hang out with them behind the scenes, they're just normal people. To me, that's almost the most interesting thing about really successful people and about the really successful people that I've had the opportunity to be around is that they're normal people that had a not normal experience, mm -hmm. right? So their sort of their fame and their success is based on something that you know they did differently than other people. But beyond that one thing, they're just people. And you know, a lot of times, if you don't know that, if you don't get to meet these people, if you've never met a Steve Jobs, he probably looks very heroic and like something that you could never personally accomplish. But I bet a lot of us, if we put the effort in and we're in the same situations, would accomplish really great things as well. And so I just like, I feel like the mission of Lyft is to take these stories about how people got where they were and make them accessible, essentially, to distribute that practice out to the rest of the world. And there's a quote from one of the Twitter founders who I also worked with at the beginning there, Biz Stone. He goes, you know, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> and I just love that quote because it's so true for everyone that you talk to that's really successful. Everyone. I hear that time and time again. There's no such thing as a success, overnight success. And what is sad is, you know, that's what's become the goal in our society because of the fast companies and the inks and the, you know, all these magazines. But people think that it happens quickly. And then when it doesn't for them, they get really frustrated. You know, I never, it never occurred to me until you just said that. What a terrible name fast company is like, <laughs> yes I, I think i cannot like disagree with a concept more than that like i feel like now i have to boycott fast company <laughs> i think you should it's like, honestly it's so far <laughs> away from what i know the truth to be right well that's perfect actually and i i want to talk to you about lyft getting to create lyft so going from your startups twitter which had success and saying, you know what, I'm going to work on what matters most to me is something that really hits home for both John and I. Now, what made you realize you can make this leap and this is where you were going to go? You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if they've started multiple companies, they talk about the lessons they learned in between each one. And when I started my first company, I really didn't have any idea what I was doing, but I swore to myself I was going to make it successful no matter what. So that was my mission. Don't fail. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about their real, like, high-level missions. But honestly, I really wasn't thinking much more beyond that. And so I, I built a little software product. I tried to find some customers. I ended up finding actually a lot of customers who were, who were running conferences. 
And for three years is this incredible struggle not to fail. Mm. But by the fourth year, I'd built up enough business and enough of a team that they, the team was running the entire business on my behalf. And I was making like enough money that I was splitting my time between New York and San Francisco and then barely working. I mean, that's basically a, the ideal lifestyle business, right? Yes. That's what I I want. (laughs) I should have been so proud of myself, but I, it turns out like that spare time gave me time for self-reflection. And Mm. the two things that I, that really stood out to me were, I don't really like leisure. Apparently I like to work Mm. and two, I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life becoming the world's expert in conferences. Like I liked our product, I liked our customers, but that's not my, you know, authentic mission in life. And so I just said, like, I'm willing to keep working, but I have to do it on something else. And started prototyping things that eventually became Lyft and started talking to my friends about it. And you know, the difference between Lyft and my previous company, which was called Crowdvine, is that I bootstrapped Crowdvine, and so I really didn't have partners in it. And I, I, ca- I kind of thought also part of growing as a person would be having high-level partners uh, around me. And as I was getting a prototype together, uh, my friend Evan Williams, who had been my boss at Odeo, which is what Twitter spun out of, and then had been, been the CEO of Twitter, he was leaving Twitter. And so I took him out to coffee and asked what he was up to and told him what I was up to. And he was just like, look, we have to do this together. I love this idea. I want to support you. I like, I can fund this. I can help design it with you. And so, you know, he's basically ended up being co-designer of the first version with me and a a big source of our our funding uh, in the beginning. And so it was just basically, you know, that lesson learned that life is too short to spend it on things that don't matter to you. And then I don't know if you'd call it luck or uh, effort, to run into um, Ev at that point and you know be able to start a company with them. Prior to talking to Evan and you know showing him the idea behind Lyft, did you show other people or other friends who looked at it and was like, "Eh, I don't know if this is a good idea." Yes, actually, nobody liked it. Yes, I, okay, I was... everybody needs to hear that. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess there's two things from that story that really stand out to me. Like, you know, one there's this idea out here in Silicon Valley that anyone can raise money. And so like I raise money off of a coffee and you could say, Oh my God, Silicon Valley is a place where you could raise money off of just a coffee. (laughs) But the reality is I feel like I spent 10 years being able to raise that money. I just always like to remind people that the network that you build out here that allows you to have angel investors, a lot of that comes from your previous, you know, work. And uh, that doesn't happen overnight. And that if it doesn't happen for you overnight, you still you always have the option of just persevering and keep working at it. And eventually good things will come to you. And then that other right the beginning, very few people are going to see see your vision because it's so crummy and it's so unrealized. I mean, you basically have to run into someone who's thinking the exact same way as you. And uh, Ev is a great product person. And I think he could see a, a lot of potential in it. You know, what's really interesting, and I might have this wrong, so feel free to correct me, but initially when you were talking about how you met Evan, you knew him, but you met him and he said, hey, I want to fund this and all that, and going, okay, you're in Silicon Valley, you know this guy who's worth millions of dollars, so of course you can start a company, but... And I know better than that thought process because you didn't just know him. It's not like he was your uncle. You worked for a company. You, you created companies. They saw 
you aspired to be more. And so, like you said, that was a 10-year fundraise. Yes, I, I really believe it was a 10-year fundraise. Okay. And like certainly if I had just been his neighbor in 2000 <laughs> when I was just starting as a, you know, starting my career and I'd walked up to him with the idea, there, you know, there was going to be no funding. Sure. And that, I mean, it's just another example of it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, right? Like I've had the easiest fundraising of any startup that I've ever seen <laughs> if you start the clock on that day that I first asked for money. Right. But really the clock started in 2000 when I started making the career decisions that I did make. Let's dive into the Lyft app. And I have been waiting forever to talk to you because this is one of those apps that changed my life. And because I had the podcast platform, I was like, I am going to reach out to Tony just to see if I can talk to him about this and let him know that this app is amazing. And I wanted to just give you this time now to tell our listeners what the Lyft app is and how it works. What we're trying to do with Lyft app is to just bring you the ideal coaching experience to help you achieve any new goal. And it's really, I think what we're going to end up talking about here is behavior design, right? But mm -hmm. as far as the app goes, it's, you sign up for a number of goals and then you track your progress in those goals. And then we try to bring you support either in the form of motivation or in the form of uh, information and guidance. And so that information and guidance can sometimes come from, from an actual coach or it can come from the community or sometimes you don't really need it because your goal is as obvious how to do it. You just want to have the accountability to keep up with it. And that's where the, the tracking comes from is like tracking just keeps you in touch with are you doing this or not? And a lot of people end up becoming really addicted to their streak, right? There's... Oh, yeah. um, a productivity method that a lot of people think of as the Seinfeld productivity method. He said the way that he's so productive as a comedian is that he has a calendar on the wall and every day that he writes a joke, he makes a big X on that day. And his whole thing is don't break the chain. And I think there's a lot of that for people too. A lot of that gives people a lot of motivation. It certainly sounds like it gives you motivation in your own goals. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause I, I have to admit when John first signed up for it a long time ago, I yeah. don't know. How long ago it was he he said and i mean i'm not telling you this just because you're on the show he literally said dude you have to check out this app and I, i'm not a big app guy and i said oh what is it and he told me he was like you know i have this streak of doing pull-ups and i was like i don't understand <laughs> i mean it just didn't it just didn't register but as i've been preparing for this wedding that we're going to in jamaica i wanted to create a streak of working out and once you do five, you don't want to break it in 10. And then it yeah. becomes, again, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you get that high five after 21 for yeah. most of the habits. And uh, I was going to say that alone for me is enough. Every time I get to that 21, I give it to my girlfriend. I'm like, look, high five it. And it does the vibrating. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing how, many, how much people like that, that little celebration. Really, there's nothing going on here that's not like well-known in psychology, mm -hmm. right? Like if we can bring a, a positive reinforcement structure into your life, what it means is if you can do something three times, we can help you do it 30 times. It's such a, a simple concept. And the fact that it wasn't out there prior to, to you putting Lyft out there kind of blows my mind. 
this is what I think is special about technology is I don't think as technologists we're really in the business of inventing things. I think what we're in the business of is distributing things that have already been invented, mm. right? And so going back to, you know, when we talk about successful people, whenever you look at how they got to be where they were, what they did, they got there through practice and they got there through a very deliberate form of practice. And so what's special about them is that they knew how to practice and then had a support system that kept them accountable. And then they got became addicted to it and it became their identity, right? Mm -hmm. But why was Tiger Woods such a successful golfer? I mean, right now, I don't know what do you guys <laughs> think of him. He doesn't seem to be, I mean, he's still, he's still the number one the golfer man. in the world. He's but, the man, yeah. But not in the way that he that he once was. Right. And it's like, you know, what he had access to that we don't is that his dad was probably the world's best coach of three-year-olds. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. And so at some point after Tiger was getting all this attention for being a great five-year-old golfer, a great seven-year-old golfer, like golf just became his identity and it became easy for him to practice. But because he was always ahead of the curve, he always had access to the best coaches. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a big part of the story of why he was as good as, as he was. And so I think about like our job in technology is to take everything that, that was used to turn Tiger into that level of golfer and just package it up into a phone, into an app that you can carry around on your phone, essentially that you have a coach in your pocket for that's available for whatever your actual goals are. When I talk about Lyft, I always talk about, like, this is an app to help you be superhuman. And that's what I mean. The difference between you and the most successful people in the world is not some innate trait of yours. It's that they had access to better coaching. And we want to give that to you. And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. Hey guys, today I want to share with you a free and secure tool. You've heard us mention it on the show before. I use it. It's amazing. It's called Personal Capital, and it solves two barriers to growing your wealth. The first barrier is that it's hard to keep track of. You have your stocks, your 401k, bank accounts, savings. They're all on different sites, and you have different usernames and passwords for each one. Second, you pay someone to manage it, and you're probably paying too much. Personal Capital brings all your accounts and assets on one single screen, on your computer, phone, or tablet with real-time and intuitive graphs. It also shows how much you're overpaying in fees and how to reduce those fees. You also get tailored advice on optimizing your investment. So why wait? Signing up takes just a minute, and it'll pay big dividends. Personal Capital gives you total clarity and transparency to make better investment decisions right away. To set up your free account, go to personalcapital.com slash smart people. Remember to support the show, use Personal Capital. It's free. Their website is personalcapital.com slash smart people. This week's episode is brought to you by another awesome sponsor, Harry's. Harry's was sparked from a personal experience from Andy, one of the founders. He went to a drugstore, waited 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors are being held, and bought a four-pack of blades and some shaving cream. Not the best purchase experience. He spent $25 on products and brands that he didn't know anything about. There had to be a better way. Welcome, Harry's. Harry's focuses on providing guys a great shaving experience for a fraction of the price of the competitors. They believe in clean product design, less but better. High quality blades engineered in their own factory in Germany, and the convenience and ease of ordering online beats going into a drugstore any day of the week. 
Guys, I hold in my hand the box that Harry shipped directly to my door. Opening it up, you're greeted with an awesome razor, a couple blades, and their amazing shave cream. The shave cream has soothing licorice and cucumber, coconut oil, and eucalyptus and peppermint. It's absolutely amazing. The razor itself, unbelievable. Lightweight aluminum, just like in aircrafts. Head over to harrys.com and use the promo code SMARTPEOPLE to save $5 off your first purchase. Have you heard of or read the book, Talent is Overrated? Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, so as soon as you mentioned the thing about Tiger, it just, I was like, Talent is Overrated. It's an amazing yeah. book. And it taught, you know, the story behind Tiger, I knew because I'm big into sports. But the one that really stuck out to me was Mozart. Yes. You his know, his dad is a music teacher. Yes, his dad's a music teacher. He sucked for a <laughs> long time. Mozart was not that good. And yeah. he just tried hard. And then at 21 or whatever it was, 18, he did his first thing and everyone loved it. And they were like, where'd this kid come from? Well, yeah. 15 years of grinding at the piano is where he came from. Right. That is the story, like over and over again. And, and Talon is overrated, had a, a ton of stories like that. Mm -hmm. And some every now and then you'll get someone who's great argue with you say, no, no, no. Mozart had it. Uh, his dad was a teacher, but Mozart was also very innately talented. Mm -hmm. And I would just pause it for you that that doesn't matter because your actual goals, like most of us are not actually trying to be the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So if we, if one of us said, well, how, how did Obama become such a great public speaker? Let's say, right. That's one of the, the skills, the traits that he's known for. Sure. It, it doesn't actually matter whether or not we ever become as good as him, because if any of us just did a little bit of practice towards being a better public speaker, we would get immediate dividends. And that's the, you know, there's that concept that really popularized by Malcolm Gladwell around 10,000 hours, mm -hmm. right? Which it takes 10,000 hours to become a genius level talent. And I just always like to remind people that while that might be true, you get an immediate payoff in the first two or three hours. Right. Because most people don't put any practice in. Yeah. So like you start being a big fish in a small pond at hour 10. Well, and I think that's super important because it doesn't discourage people. You know, yes. one of the things we interviewed Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos, and he said, if you guys would have gone into creating this podcast thinking, oh, you need a million or two million downloads. You wouldn't have done it because that's just too, too much. So if you go into playing golf thinking I'm going to break par, you're not going to, you just don't even want to pick up a club. Right. Well, Tony is really sharp. I mean, for two reasons, you know, one, he's got a great first name and then also <laughs> he's just really sharp. When I hear him talk like that, what I think about is this concept, we call it momentum, that there's a lot of good that just comes from having momentum. And that's where... Like instead of thinking about the 10,000th hour, let's, let's think about those first couple of hours. Let's think instead of thinking about how you're going to look on the day you set foot in the beach in Jamaica, let, you know, let's make sure that you get to the gym that first time at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of those big wins, they come from a series of small wins along the way. You know, there's a researcher at Stanford that we often reference, BJ Fogg, who has the concept, he calls it tiny habits. A lot of people are really focused on optimizing what is the best possible way for me to do something. And his thing is, well, I mean, that's fine to discuss, but it's way more powerful just to have the habit of doing something. Because you know, if you're doing it every day, it'll naturally expand. You'll naturally make it harder and become better at it. 
And, but most people just get tripped up by, you know, they don't practice more than two or three times ever. Right. And so his, like, you know, his canonical tiny habits example is, you know, if you want to floss your teeth and you're having trouble, why don't you just make your goal floss one tooth? Like, <laughs> that's it. Just floss one tooth. And like, honestly, how many people are going to wrap the floss around their fingers, get it in between one tooth and then just quit? <laughs> yep, right. Yep. And I, you know, I think it's the same, right? Like if you want to start a running habit in the morning, it's like, just make your goal, like put on your running clothes. Exactly. And yeah. look, if it's cold out and you want to take them off, that's fine. Because honestly, most people are going to put on their running clothes and they're going to walk out the door and then they're going to run a block and they're going to be like, Hey, you know what? I'm moving. I feel good. I'm starting to wake up. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do my full, full run. Yep. All of that stuff comes from momentum. One of the things I want to talk to you about that really jumped out to me is this idea of cognitive stamina, cognitive budget really goes in line with creating, you know, routine. It's something I'm very interested in because I suck at it. Like I'm horrible and specifically on cognitive stamina. So could you first kind of explain what that means? Yeah. There's two ways that we like two sides to looking at your own success. One is, well, you know, what are all the things that you have to do to pick up a single behavior? That's the BJ Fogg world. That's the like very operant conditioning kind of world. But then it's how do all of these behaviors add up into who you are at the end of the day? And one of the frameworks that I found that's really useful is there's a been research recently around decision fatigue. And basically what it says is that you only have a certain number of decisions that your brain is really capable of doing throughout the day before it gets tired and you start to get really lazy. And there's like a great study of uh, parole judges in Israel where they actually found that your chance of being paroled went down later in the day, uh, presumably because the judges were getting tired, which is like such a horrific idea, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You have uh, the 5 p.m. like parole, and it's like, no, no, yeah. no, let's reschedule tomorrow at 9. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what stands out to me also, besides the horror of that, is that these judges are presumably highly trained, very professional people, and yet they can't help but fatigue throughout the day. And so you know, when we talk about cognitive budget, we say, all right, why don't you frame your whole day in terms of you have a certain number of decisions that you can make in a day, and one way that you can have more decision-making ability for the things that matter is to simplify the things that don't matter. And the, the best example or the most famous example of this is uh, Steve Jobs and his black turtleneck. So when I got dressed uh, today, I was like, I looked at my closet and I realized that all of my work shirts are like at the laundry. And so then I had to decide okay, well, what is acceptable for me to wear to work today? I don't have any in-person meetings. I have a couple of options. And so 10 or 15 decisions later, I was dressed. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, he would wake up, he would walk over to his dresser, and he would pick up the black turtleneck sitting on top of a pile of black turtlenecks, put that on, put on his, pant, his pants, walk out the door, he's ready for work. He didn't make a single decision in order to get out the door because mm -hmm. he wanted to save all of his cognitive budget for what's the iPhone guy look like <laughs> way more important than what he looks like. I mean, frankly, he looked good because he did make an important decision about those black turtlenecks, right? Those mm -hmm. weren't like, you know, JC Penny black turtlenecks, right? That was actually from a pretty famous fashion designer, but 
you know, he had really simplified that part of his day in order to conserve energy somewhere else. And so when you're thinking about what are the habits of a successful person, when you think in terms of cognitive budget, there's actually a great answer. Any habit is a habit of successful people, right? Because a habit means that that's a decision you don't have to make anymore. It's a routine, it's locked in, you don't think about it. And that gives you more room to more energy to put towards the things that do matter. You know, the reason I love that is because as John and most people in my life know, I sleep a lot and I'm tired a lot. And it took a long time for me to realize, I think it's because I do so poorly with my cognitive budget. We interviewed Tony Schwartz, who heads up the Energy Project, and I talked to him about this. And he said, you're probably honestly just thinking too much throughout the day when you don't need to be thinking. It is. It's exhausting. I mean, I'll think about ideas and companies and how my conversation with this person just went and did, what impression did I leave and all this stuff. And it really, until somebody explained it to me and then reading what you've written, I, I didn't realize that that's probably a large source of it. And so I need to streamline a little bit more of my life so that the things, as we all have that are important, can receive more of my attention. I think that's exactly right. It makes sense to me. And, you know, the thing that I did for myself is just I kind of made an inventory of my day and then circled the things that could be really simplified because they don't they don't matter. And, you know, what you wear is a, a good one. Uh, a lot of people start thinking in terms of a work uniform once they once they think this way. When do I have meetings? I, it was a big driver for me to have a virtual assistant. So because I thought, why do I spend why do I make a lot of scheduling decisions? That doesn't make any sense. Why don't I just decide that I'm going to have all my meetings in the morning and then have make that single decision? and then have someone else actually slot people in. And uh, so a lot of changes like that, I just, I personally felt played a big role in my own, you know, my own energy throughout the day. And I could see it working for you yeah, as well. That, no, that's why I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that kind of the idea of map out your day a little bit, because the next question I had for you was going to be, I don't even know what to organize. I don't know what to try to make a habit, but, and I was going to ask you how to do that. And then you said, you know, kind of, kind of look at your day. I mean, see what you do and just try to streamline it almost. You know, a lot of productivity coaches that we work with are very focused on the morning. That makes sense from a cognitive load perspective, right? Because if you're exhausted by the time you get home, changing your, your habits in the evening aren't going to do anything, right? Because one, you're not going to be very successful because you're already exhausted. And two, they're not going to save you from being exhausted because you're already there. And so when you start in the morning, what's your breakfast routine? What's your dressing routine? And then a, a big one is the morning is a great time to do your to-do list. And a lot of people just make a to-do list, but the key productivity advice these days is to set priorities in the morning. You know, one of the ways that you get exhausted is that you do a bunch of easy, low-hanging fruit, but don't really matter kind of tasks in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then by the time, you know, your day is like getting towards the end, you've already made all, spent all these decisions on the things that aren't that important for you. And so using that morning time to, first of all, simplify so that you don't, you know, you're arriving at work with all of your energy, but also to prioritize so that you're putting all of that energy towards the things that matter. That's really the, the key as far as I, can, I see it. 
you probably, I mean, this is so ingrained in your life that when you're sending out these little nuggets of wisdom, you probably don't realize it as much. But the thing you said about prioritizing actually is really impactful because I know I do that. I think it's human nature. Actually, I read this quote recently about the law of doing kind of the least effort for a return. I mean, it just is. Yeah. And so I'll do that. I'll have a list. But I'll be like, oh, that email will take two minutes. This one will take five. This phone call. But then two o'clock rolls around. I've done 40 things. But there's that one looming hour-long task. And then I just get pissed because I don't have the energy to do it. Right. I know. It's so funny that we judge our to-do list based on how long things will take rather than <laughs> like how much they matter. That's true. Yeah. I don't know when we start getting trained to think that way. I mean, maybe it's part of school, right? Like that idea that, look, you just got to do your homework whether you want to do it or not. And I think that gets kind of driven into you. And so when you get to work, you just think, oh, I just got to do all of the work no matter what. Anyone who started their own business, like one of the shocking things is what a big divide there is between the things that don't matter very much and the things that matter like a lot. Oh my gosh, I know. (laughs) Like, so for me, right, like, Raising money, that matters a lot. And (laughs) hiring people, that matters a lot. But, you know, having a random lunch with someone, Mm -hmm. eh, it's like fun. I like it, but I don't need to spend my whole week meeting strangers, right? Right. You know, every now and then it pays off a little bit, but in no way does it pay off as much as the people that I hired to work here. I don't know any place that trains you to think that way, except, you know, basically running your own business where like, you know, that puts this fear of failure in you that's so strong that that it's enough to shake you out of, you know, your old way of thinking. Another great point. Well, I know uh, we're coming up on our time here. The last thing I really wanted to ask you was where do you see kind of Lyft going? Are you more concerned with expanding that or are you looking at other things? Kind of what's in your future? So we're in this transition between our first version and our second version. And so I'm really just, I'm focused on getting the second version of Lyft out where the first version is very habit focused and the second version is much more coach coaching focused. So in a habit, we can support someone who already knows how to do the habit because it's just a matter of if they do it once and we kind of reinforce them to keep going. But what if, what if you don't already know how to do that habit? Like if you wanted to pick up a meditation habit, but you don't know how to meditate, right? I think that's where we want to get the experience and advice into the app so that we could take someone who maybe doesn't know how to eat right or doesn't know how to work out or doesn't know how to meditate and get them all the way from learning how to actually being an expert. It's already how I describe Lyft that we want to be a coaching platform for every goal. And, you know, that's our it's going to take a while, right? And that's what I'm committed to doing basically, you know, from here on out, because I think there's this constant improvement in the advice that's given to people. And and it's like Lyft's job to find that advice and then deliver it to the people that need it. That's so awesome. And Lyft truly is one of the best apps. It's, it's the app that I use every day on my phone. Uh, Just it's, it's fantastic. And again, thank you so much for, for talking to us about Lyft and all the other stuff that we talked about today. I wanted to give you an opportunity real quick to plug anything that you've got going on, whether it's your Twitter, where you write, I know you write on medium, but can you tell our listeners where they can find all the information that you put out there? I think the main thing is to either follow us on Facebook or Twitter. We're Lyft app 
on both of those. Obviously, download the app. Uh, you can just get it from our website, lift.do, lift.do, and we have it for iPhone and web and Android. So most of your listeners should be able to use it. That's where I would start. But you know, the, the difference is there's the app mm-hmm. that you know help you with your goals. But if you're just wanting the advice and the research that we do, you can get those from our Twitter and Facebook accounts. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. Chris, John, thank you so much. This was super fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that fantastic episode with Tony. Head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. See what we've got going on. New posts each week. Even better. Episode guests. Even better. What's go, better? Go on Twitter. Yes. And tweet anything that you found specifically interesting. Like, what if they tweet their soundbite? We should start doing that more often. People tweet do to, that. Tweet it to us. Make sure you include at smartpeoplepod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. If you have a quote that you want to see quotified on yeah. uh, on like Twitter that. or Facebook, tweet at smartpeoplepod. Let us know. I'll go ahead and throw together an image, tweet it out there, and I will credit you with your Twitter handle. And... Uh, Lyft app, they are very active on Twitter. There's a good chance they will retweet it. So again, expanding your reach, expanding your knowledge, that's what we do. Drop the mic. See you guys next week. <laughs>